Tonight, we review an aging Charles Bronson in Death Wish 9. I wish I was dead. Hey. Welcome to part two of our Death Sentence episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, we have our uh, patron takeover right around the corner, starting with the next episode. So that's pretty exciting. I'm not going to unleash the, the entire lineup, but uh, like I was telling you right before we started recording, I guess I miscalculated how long it was going to take us to, uh, to go through all these picks. So... <laughs> All these picks are going to take us all the way to September, like to the end of September. Don't worry. If you sent your pick in, it's it's there. It's on the schedule. We're we're getting to it, but you know, it might <laughs> this it's a massive rotation. Uh but I'm pretty excited. It's a it's a very eclectic uh, collection of movies. Uh, basically, anybody that uh was a patron regardless of the tier at the time that we made the announcement, uh qualified to send us a movie that they would like to uh have us do on the main feed. And so we have all sorts of uh, rotten and fresh movies uh, just waiting for us to tackle. Some of them are big classics. Some of them are more obscure, but uh, all of them should be a good time. Uh, now, back to tiers, though. I'm going to uh, remind everybody what they're getting. So if you are on the Travolti's tier, that's the starting tier, you're going to get our current room floor segment as usual. It's just uh, the stuff that doesn't make it into the episode. Um also on that tier, uh, available for everybody, our bonus episode exclusive to the feed, to the patron feed. Uh, it's a Brandon Curtis pick, the movie Virata Parvam, which Alex and I have already watched, mm-hmm. haven't recorded that episode yet. It's it's on the docket, and actually it should be on the feed, on the patron feed, before that sentence uh, drops. So in a way, you could just go and check it right now. Um, it is very different from the previous Indian movies that we've uh, covered on Patreon. So our horizons continue to be expanded for better and for worse. Uh, now, next year up, Winonis and beyond, uh, you also get our pre-recording notes. Every time that Alex or I write like, oh my God, on our notes, that's you get to see that. Uh, <laughs> you also have access to our quick video reviews, the QVRs. Uh, this month, Ryan picked the movie Chopper for Alex and the movie The Handmaiden for me. Somehow I ended up with the movie that's almost three hours long and Alex got the, the Australian indie. I, I yeah. feel a little slighted. Uh, maybe they Ode. just know. That's, that's what I get for saying that I'm more tolerant about long run times than you are. Yeah. Mm. And then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. It's the little spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, reading, playing, listening to, thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Not too much. I'm Like I mentioned, I'm currently going through The Sopranos and um, also Pete and Pete. So I'll have full comprehensive thoughts on those when that's done, uh, you know, because that's very contemporary and <laughs> of the moment. Pete and Pete and The Sopranos. So I'm going to talk about a Netflix documentary from last year called The Pez Outlaw. It's just one of those things that uh, the summation here. The story of Steve Glue, a Midwestern machinist who smuggles rare Pez dispensers from Europe and sells them for thousands, drawing the ire of both U.S. Pez and rival collectors. So, you know, <laughs> shit, shit that's right up my alley as far as like niche documentaries. <laughs> well, I hope it's a recommendation because it sounds uh, pretty intriguing. And then also, uh, we'll be circling back to our Amanda Knox story because uh, I'll be discussing Amanda Knox, Murder on Trial in Italy, the Hayden Panettiere Lifetime original movie based on the Amanda Knox. <laughs> you couldn't help yourself. No, I got to. At this point, we're too, we and our patrons are too far into the story. So we're in the weeds here. We got we to gotta bring this home. <laughs> well, uh, on my end, Alex, uh, I tweeted about it. Uh, it looks like Peacock found out that I hadn't uh, that I wasn't able to watch all the Hitchcock movies that they had back in October on their platform so they put him back uh, so who knows maybe maybe I'll be able to get through like the four titles I think they have left uh, but I watched The Birds knocking out another blind spot of mine have you seen The Birds oh yeah I saw that right. as a little kid awesome so we'll, we'll get to talk about that I'll tell you what I thought I've, I've heard a lot about The Birds finally knock it off my list. Uh, and then uh, just a couple of days ago, I went, I returned to the Bass Auditorium Theater 
to watch Aladdin on stage. Was it better than the Guy Ritchie adaptation? I'll tell you about it on After Hours. No Will Smith. There's no that. drama. No drama. No slaps. No no yelling. It was just it was just a, a fun time at the theater. So the birds, Aladdin, Hayden Petitier as Amanda Knox, and then a documentary about Pez, the or a Pez smuggler. <laughs> what would you Pez, call that? The Pez outlaw. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> That's a Noah Baumbach movie waiting to happen. I've got uh, a few Pez dispensers. I got a few Star Wars and Simpsons ones that are on my shelves, and I have a few Christmas ones that I take out at the holiday time, but. You know, for all the shit I collect, that, that's something that's never really scratched any itch that I have. I used to have some Toy Story ones that Kelly got me. I don't know where they are now, but, you know, I, I, I just had them as because they look cool, not because I wanted the past. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, if any of that sounds interesting uh, or if you want to check out some of the feedback, some of the conversations that take place on our Patreon page, you can join. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Katie from from your reference uh she finally listened to our after hours where I told you about Nope and how it just didn't work for me. And she had <laughs> she had some stuff to say because she liked Nope a lot. And mm. uh, I mean, she very respectfully disagreed with me, but it made me laugh. And then she seemed shocked that I gave bros four stars. So <laughs> we we had a lot of disagreements there, but uh, uh, she didn't unsubscribe from the patron. So, so it's all good. But anyway, check out patreon.com slash concern prime look at our tiers see if you would like to join the concern supplements one dollar three dollar five dollars and ten dollars our respective tiers as i always say drop a buck in get in on the ground floor take a look around see what it is you like tell us what you'd like to see more of as we've been cryptic about soon enough the news will be out about our upcoming patron series but until then we'll continue to deliver uh what you've come to expect so far and do it gleefully so gladly So to all of our current patrons, we love you all dearly, and we continue to take applications. So sign up, check it out. We know you're going to love it. And with that out of the way, we move on to to August 31st of 2007. Well, don't let me smell fear on you. Fear is for the enemy. Fear and bullets. I went to the movie theater that day to see Halloween. I think I've told this on the podcast before. If you're young and listening to this, which I doubt it, but don't do this because it creates a lot of issues on the back end. But after my first <laughs> semester at college, I realized that I, as long as I knew what courses I needed to take, I didn't have to have a counselor to help construct my schedule for me. <laughs> and so I remember like the counselor came to my dorm room to ask me like when we were gonna do it. i was like oh, i already did and he's like well you can't do that and i'm like well i did and <laughs> you know i was like i don't need your help the way i did that this is also well there's two reasons i spent five years at college that and then secondly i changed my major two and a half years in but i figured this out in a way that i never had to take classes on fridays and so for my sophomore junior and my two senior years in college, I never had classes on Fridays. And our friend of the podcast, Reed, uh, and I also incorporated never having to work on Fridays because I, I can't even remember the excuse I gave him. But Reed, that's like the first thing he remembers from meeting me. He's like, this motherfucker never works on Fridays. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so when there was a new movie came, coming out on Friday, I would get to go to the theater and watch it. And it would be like the first showing or the second showing. And so Fridays were always delightful. One of my favorite memories of ever going to a movie theater was just I was ripe with anticipation for There Will Be Blood and it hit our theater and I packed a sack lunch and I went and watched that at like noon on a Friday with you know two other people in the theater and it was delightful. But I do remember on August 31st of 2007, I was in the Cinemark Denton location to see Halloween, not Death Sentence, but I do know I was in a movie theater that day. Uh, now... <laughs> The other big thing I remember is the theater layout was kind of similar to the one we worked at, Julian B Cave. And um, what was the first theater behind the podium? Was that Theater 7? Like if you just walk into the right in the first theater there. Directly behind podium is 9. 9. Okay, so that was 7 for us in Denton. 
And um, so it was Halloween was in theater seven. And then Death Sentence was either in three or 14 because those were the two smallest theaters we have. That's how I'm tying this back to Death Sentence. But I remember at the time, that's how low the expectations were for it. It Actually, it might have been one of those that started Friday in a big theater and by Friday night was in a small one. You know how they would do that Mm -hmm. sometimes. And so I remember it doing no business. And that was the first summer I worked for the movie theater. And I just kind of started my position in the projection booth which i would hold for what three five no till the end so the rest of my time and i remember watching the ending where he's bald and i'm like why the fuck is kevin bacon bald and like (laughs) is he gonna kill this guy or what and so the ending was lost on me because that's all i ever saw it's like well did he kill him or not and now of course you know know. (laughs) but uh i i remember this movie coming and going and i remember we had a standee for it that's just the poster that protect what's yours and it was up for maybe the weekend it was out and we have talked about kevin bacon's career path in the past uh, and like you called out that i didn't even think of james wan wasn't a director you could put their name on something at that point it would raise um interest and then garrett headland as much as i enjoy him tron definitively proved is not he's not a box office draw as a name that's no disrespect to him but just a, a strange movie that I don't really know was ever going to do any better than it did. That's, so that's my story of remembering its initial release. Now, you said you had seen this once before, but were you were you at a party or something? What, what was your story about it? <laughs> Much like, a, what did we do recently? That I, oh, a pre-persuasion. Another of those instances where uh, Corey, my old roommate, sat me down and he's like, hey, you need to watch this. And we played it. And of course, I I remember him shaving his head. That much like you, that was that stood out. I, well, here's the thing, and I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit in Contreras Corner. Like the, you know what you're getting into. You know the formula when you're yeah. when you sit down for a revenge thriller. You know, it's like this guy is gonna have a great life, then they're gonna take that away from him, and then he's going to snap and go after them because the, it's gonna the be system. raining at the funeral. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and uh it's gonna be brutal. I was uh, uh as I sat down to watch it, I was getting it mixed up with another movie that I remember much better, uh, although apparently not not well enough to not get it mixed up with that sentence. And that is the Jared Butler vehicle. Uh, what's the one? Law with abiding the, citizen. A law abiding citizen, which yep. also opens with him and his family getting brutalized. And I think you know what we're talking about. Like it's it's. I don't. I don't think. He, he has kids there. It might be just his wife, but they break into his house and rape and kill his wife, and then they Isn't, try to um, kill him, or they just get him unconscious. You know, Jamie Fox is like the cop in it, right? The DA. He's a DA. DA. That, okay. That basically cuts a deal with the the guy that they catch, and so then Jer Butler starts his master plan to take revenge on all the guys that destroy this family. And uh, there was that. There was um, Max Payne. Obviously, <laughs> it seemed like the, there was like a. A pocket of these for a period of time. The thing is, I sat down to watch this and I was waiting for the scene from Law Abiding Citizen. And then when it didn't happen, when I was like, oh, we're like 30 minutes in and Kelly, uh, Kelly Preston's still alive. You know, that only one of the kids is dead. I'm like, okay, I, I haven't seen this. I was just thinking of Law Abiding Citizen. But then we got to the, what, like the hour mark <laughs> where they kill Kelly Preston and the surviving kid. And then I remember, nope, I've seen this because that that also, you know, that's one of the most one of the things that stands out the most is that they they have that that scene where it looks like it's over, <laughs> and, and there's still thirty more minutes of movie left, uh, probably longer actually, forty minutes of movie left. And then yeah, and then I remember the him shaving his head. But I guess it's not my type of movie. Oh, I, okay, it's not my 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 genre. That I find it very. Uh, it's very rare that the the payoff, the reward, is worth the it's just how harrowing the openings usually are in this type of movie. Shooter was the one, the the other Mark Wahlberg one that I was trying to think of that was like revenge. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of artsy though, isn't that uh, Antoine Foucault? <laughs> is it? I think so. I I just always hear Mike Goldberg saying shooter in theaters. Yeah, it is Anton. <laughs> Fuqua. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, so usually it's 
it takes a lot for me to like sit down and and just know because they usually get pretty nasty, it, 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 understandably so, right? Because it has to, they have to push that that protagonist to the limit, and, and then you have to buy that he would just decide to take law into his own hands. Even like Law Abiding Citizen, I remember enjoying that movie, but the again the opening is pretty harsh. It's, it, it's just it's part of the formula, so it's not. That is not a, uh, something that I would say it's a problem with the movie necessarily. It's just my personal problem with the genre. I just find it hard to sit through those opening uh, uh, movements uh, because I usually don't find that the, the payoff later is it's not as entertaining. Like I find it hard to have a good time when I already know that you know <laughs> these children and wives and significant others have been really, really badly hurt. It's uh, that's my own thing. That's always been my complaint with Last House on the Left is like what I have to sit through is so not worth the reward in the end. And that's that's obviously an extreme. But I I, well, I said that to say I can understand what you're explaining right now and your feeling on the matter. Yeah. All things considered, I mean, in this movie, they, they go quickly. Uh, you know, the kid. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's this still, rules. It's horrifying, but the, the kid gets his his throat slashed and then uh kelly press and the other kid they just get shot and that's it there's no it's not like gary headland decided to make kevin bacon watch as he tortured them or anything it was just like boom 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 it was just business business as usual um but still that's it's not the kind of movie i would have gone to see in theaters and then the only reason i watched it before was because my friend made me watch it while we're drinking you know he's like let's watch this and I never would have watched it again uh, if, uh, whether I even remembered that I had watched it or not, if not for the fact that Paul said, hey, do this. I'm so sorry that I wasn't a better father. I'm so sorry that I couldn't protect you guys. So this is where we are. <laughs> I know. I might, did I come out the other side, positive or negative? Uh, I'll tell you in a little bit. But I, I think we should do the quotes first from people that were definitely positive about it. Let's do it. Four Fresh Tomatoes uh, from the Rotten Tomatoes website. Eric Childress or Eric Childress from eFilmCritic.com says, In the same way that Quentin Tarantino and Kurt Russell elevated Death Proof, James Wan and Kevin Bacon go beyond what would have been satisfactory to crowds craving a good bloodletting. Kurt Russell versus Kevin Bacon. Who wins? Kurt Russell versus Kevin Bacon. Oh, Russell would beat his ass, but like... <laughs> that's the thing. If you made a movie like this with Kurt Russell where he's... I don't need to be convinced that Kurt Russell flipped the switch. Bone Tomahawk, baby. Yep. He's a nice guy. He's he's gentle when he needs to be, but he, he can fucking get it done. Next. Peter DeBruge from the Miami Herald says, an old school exploitation picture polished off with a modern sensibility by Saw director James Wan. Yes, uh, that is all accurate. <laughs> yes. From the director of Saw, were they promoting this movie as from the director of Saw? Based on the theatrical poster, the very top says, from the director of Saw, and then at the bottom, Kevin Bacon, death sentence. <laughs> Kevin Bacon, director of Saw. <laughs> that that would be awesome if he somehow worked out the Donald Pleasance thing. Kevin Bacon from the director of Saw, death <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Kevin Bacon in. There you go. Kevin Bacon in James Wan's death sentence. A James Wan production. Parenthetical, the director of Saw. <laughs> yes. Um Next, Pam Grady from Real.com says, Death Sentence is not exactly a fun time of the movies, but it is riveting. I disagree with the first part of that. I, this movie isn't riveting. It's just... <laughs> so you disagree with both parts. Uh, yeah. It's, it's wholly wrong. It is a fun time at the movies, but it's not riveting. <laughs> Maybe she just didn't know the formula. It's her first revenge movie ever. I wish I hadn't already logged my letterbox review because it would have been, it's not riveting, but it's a great time at the movies. That's what I would have put <laughs> up. And then finally, Victoria Alexander from filmsandreview.com says, God is busy. Sometimes he needs help. Uh, 
I think we know Don't where like Victoria that. lands uh, yeah. on, when it comes to vigilante action. Alex, the, the key question, I think, when it comes to this type of movie, revenge movies, I think this is where, where the conversation, the serious conversation has to start. And and we kind of touched a little bit on it in Patron's um, Corner. Actually, I don't know if that will end up on the final cut, but where, when you're watching a movie like this, where do you land as far as the 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 morality of it? Because, uh, yeah, we like Kevin Bacon and, and we want justice. We don't like Garrett Hedlund. So it's not like we are, uh, you know, we're like, please don't kill him, right? If I guess if anything, you don't want Kevin Bacon to do this. If you're if you're rooting against Kevin Bacon here, you're rooting against him in the sense that you don't want him to make things worse. Uh, but is that what you're doing, or are you kind of walk me through your your thought process when you're watching this movie? Like, are you are you all in? Do you think he's doing the right thing? Do you think he's uh, uh, is not the right thing? But what else is he gonna do? What? How are you experiencing? the Kevin Bacon journey when you were watching this and and his journey, which is like the journey of 99% of the protagonists of a revenge thriller. Well, this one needs to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt because it is hyper-realistic, as you said. Uh, so well put it eloquently. Um, this ain't prisoners, man. You know, it's not, <laughs> that is a movie that I think the moral conundrum begins to peek through more than here. This is just kind of like, so over the top the bad guys are all tatted up you know the the leaders a skinned head they have these big loud cars and you know they would drag race or some type of shit like that and it's a gang initiation and you know even you can make an argument that something like four brothers lives in a more realistic world than this does uh and, and this movie from the jump paints that picture it's like oh here's this perfect family in a in a time where movies were being made very blatantly there weren't people trying to hide or pretty up the type of movie they were making it was very obvious this was meant to be an exploitation movie with like a modern twist and that's fun um now i guess yeah prisoners is a good example uh, the Crow, it, there's a little bit of supernatural elements in The Crow or something like Super maybe of a movie that, yeah, the moralistic implications come into play. Also Kevin Bacon, right? And Holy Super? shit, that is. Yeah, good call. Well, he's the bad <laughs> guy in genre. that. genre. <laughs> yeah. He's the bad guy in that, but, he, you know, Super, spoiler alert, there's like a one of the main characters dies very, like, easily there's no it's not like a big twist it's just kind of like boom done like uh, james franco and spring breakers but it's like um <laughs> that leaves you the viewer be like man what the fuck's going on here uh, this innocent person got tied up in this and got killed brutally whereas like in this when the cops die it, that's you know uh a movie that would make you try to like feel for that and be like oh man that's not this movie this movie is like it's almost like a slasher movie of like oh shit the cops got killed by the bad guy and then it cuts in the house and you know the bad guys are there that type of thing there's nothing wrong with having a movie that makes you question what you would do in said situation and i think prisoners is prisoners in general is just a really underrated film and i think it approaches that from numerous perspectives which is why that movie feels balanced, you know? Uh, whereas this, James Wan doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he He's like, listen, you know how this has to play out, so let's just have fun with it. Yeah. Or then you you see something like Kick-Ass that I remember I was really high on Kick-Ass the first time I saw it. because so I was just like, man, that was fun. But then rewatching it and seeing what I didn't, I just wasn't like, I guess, invested enough the first time i just kind of watched it surface level and that's an example of a movie that tries to be this but also oh think of like the moralistic implications of this who's the real bad guy you know that type of thing <laughs> and it's like fuck off but even the i think that even the most superficial of movies and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing not superficial as in a negative but just superficial as in what you're saying right it's a movie that's not interested in digging deep in the implications of its setup or whatever. Even Julio, then, what? Uh, no, fin I was about to say, finish your thought first. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, even the most superficial of movies, uh, 
generally can't avoid landing on one side or the other of, of, of the big questions just because of how things pan out. So when this movie ends with Kevin Bacon spiraling into this this rampage, killing everybody, and then pretty much guaranteed dying, uh, either dying or going to prison <laughs> as his son is coming out of a coma, what the movie's telling you is what? Or, or, or rather, how do you read what the movie's telling you, right? Like, oh man, this poor guy, he can't catch a break. <laughs> Or, you know, he was doomed from the start, or it's it's not his fault, it's like the world's fault. You know, it's a tragedy that this this poor man just wanted justice. Or uh or or is he telling you, no, this man's a fool. He should have uh, he shouldn't have done this. You know? Do you agree with, with Aisha Tyler when she says you shouldn't have done this? You just made things worse. Yeah, I mean, he, did, of, he, he did like, make things worse, but do you agree that he shouldn't have done it? No, because then there wouldn't be a movie. <laughs> that's absolutely true. That's tale as old as time, dude. Like, But it, what she said is absolutely true, and that's obviously a trope that's been used long before you and I were in diapers of like, oh, man, this person that was upset about something shouldn't have done that shit because now you know this peristaltic chain reaction is going to happen. Uh I I like this one movie, Julio. You may have heard of it called Drive, and I think <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that one. In fact, it's a little known indie flick that I, you know, a lot of people don't know I'm crazy about. But like, whatever happened to that Ryan Gosling guy? <laughs> that is just to me, just like this. Now, please don't confuse the two. Drive is a fucking masterpiece, and Death Sentence is just a badass movie. But when that movie was over. I thought to myself, there was nothing that thing was trying to tell me or teach teach me about myself. It was just it existed to be this. He's just this guy that got caught up in what Stephen Root in No Country for Old Men would refer to as a colossal goat fuck, which I <laughs> I always try to find <laughs> when I can use that. And then you know people got killed and people he loved got threatened, so he had to you know exact his revenge, and that's what he does. And then he lives and the movie's over and i'm like fuck yes and that's you know kind of like what here happens i with a movie like this that's supposed to be taken like a candy bar is supposed to be taken where you eat it you enjoy it and it's over it's not you know a gordon ramsay steak where you eat it like holy shit what's happening right now and then you think about it two days later this (laughs) is i'm fat i can make anything about food that's the gift of freedom baby sir should we escort this person out Sir! Free from wondering how you're gonna die now. You're free from wondering if you're gonna die alone, you hear? <laughs> when I watch a movie like this that is clearly just supposed to be that, when it was over, I was just like, fuck yeah, dude. Like it was that was awesome. Whereas like Prisoners is a great example. I remember that scene in Prisoners where it's revealed that still sticks with me and I'll occasionally think of when they take the sack off of Paul Dano's head and you see how like fucked up he is. Mm-hmm. And the relentless beating that Hugh Jackman gives him in that. I don't have kids. And I, you know, if someone kidnapped my, my dog, I would be distraught. So I can't imagine like the situation he's in. And that's something that makes me think about myself. Like, well, if I was in that situation, what do I do? The Punisher, the Punisher forever is something I come back to of like, that's a story of the, the system failing and this guy having to take matters into his own hands, fight the evil of the world, that type of thing. There's legs to that. There's stuff that expands beyond the bounds of an hour and 45 minutes. So I think what you're you're calling out here is right. And a big part of it is with this movie. I'm thinking through this out loud, so just bear with me here. <laughs> there isn't that like the brutal rape or whatever, like in um, Law Abiding Citizen or not that it makes it any better. Like a Max Payne, the kid's a baby. I don't remember the movie. I remember the game. I'm just making examples now. And, you know, the movies that are revered as like classic horror movies or classic tales of feminism. Like I spit on your grave. Is it? I watched that movie once and I was like, why? How? I I get this woman comes back and kills these dudes, but we have to sit through this brutal, elongated gang rape scene that. The, I, I know the people, there's probably people that love that movie. They're screaming like, well, that's the point. The the crime doesn't match the crime, that type of thing. But for me, watching as a viewer, things of that severity 
add to how I'm going to interpret what's happening. And I understand this guy's right. son gets killed, but it's it's painted in this situation that's like a comic book. It's, like, it's only good fun. <laughs> it pretty much is. It's just kind of exactly, like I'm just fucking with you. I, mean, I know exactly what you mean. There is yeah. there are degrees. And levels of intensity on how you depict the the inciting incident in one of these stories. I, and I can't overstate this. I can't talk about this enough. The vibrancy of the lighting in this movie and the brightness of the colors they use definitely adds to that in my mind of just like, God, it's just, you know, it's, it's a fun time at the movies, that type of thing. And then when it is dark, it's like nighttime dark, or you know, like you're out when you're a little kid and you see the traffic lights and stuff like that. So it's the presentation of this at no point felt real to me. So because of that, it, again, I'm not saying this is as good as Drive, but that's similar to Drive. At no point in that movie did the presentation of it feel real. I was just kind of like, this is fucking awesome. And that's kind of where I was at with this. And you know, it's a it's a good question you bring up, and a conundrum. I've, a conundrum I found myself in with many other movies. It's just I didn't find myself at any moralistic crossroads watching this. I was just kind of laughing and eating. What did I have for dinner? Uh, hot dogs and just like <laughs> get him, Kevin Bacon, like that type of thing. Just- <laughs> uh, I would like to point out first of all that I'm pretty sure if you asked Nicole and Winden Reffin what Drive was about, you would get a ten page essay. Just yes. tell, <laughs> talking about just the meaning of the, of the you know the driver's journey there, but then uh, I would immediately answer back with the William Friedkin, "Who gives a shit?" I would just get <laughs> hit him with that. I think the drive has has something to say about, it. and I mean, I'm not gonna rewatch it, but I, from what I remember, it just whoa, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't like that movie the way that you do. I think it's an okay movie, but. The- Still, it's it's a ninety minute movie that you can put on in the background at any time. Because uh, hundred minutes, excuse me, if, if nothing else. Like that's a tremendous background movie because the soundtrack's a fucking banger, and also Oscar Isaac's great in it. Carey Mulligan's great. Brian Cranston, uh, Albert Brooks should have got an Oscar nomination. Christina Hendricks. So you just need to slow your roll before you make definitive <laughs> statements like that. Well, the point I was going to make though is that I think that that movie does have something to say. I, I remember from watching it that when it was over, I had a pretty good grasp of, of where the movie stood regarding its characters and, you know, what the filmmaker felt about their decisions. I, now I'm just thinking, I remember at the time, like, so many people, their read on it was, well, he, you know, he's around the movie so much that he wants to turn his life into a movie. And I'm like, brother, I don't give a fuck. That movie just ruled. It's like, <laughs> no, I think that there's something simpler. It's like, do you see the part where you stomp that dude's head in? Yeah, I, I think that it's just talking about the nature of like, he's in too deep and he can't, you know, that's his life. And, you know, there's only so much that he can do to to change the course of his life. And that's what you see in the, in the movie. But that's. I think that the, the reason they just kept nagging at me with that sentence is that I I wasn't sure. Yes, I can have my own reading of the of the movie, and yeah, I think it's a more satisfying experience when I can also see the reading or the what the what the filmmakers' intentions were, and then I can be like, yeah, I agree or I disagree, <laughs> you know. And and with that sentence, it's weird because, and I was saying, you know, in a way, it's, I think it's an inescapable question. When you tell this type of story, you're saying like, you know, the Punisher, Drive, Prisoners. It, it always comes up. I think it's because it's such an easy question to ask. And it's a, it's a compelling question to to ask yourself. It's like, what would I do in this extreme, horrible scenario? And yeah. uh, once you have that question in your head, it doesn't matter if the, if the movie is not exploring it. The question is already in your head. And this movie, like I think most of them, like verbalizes it. You know, it has the Asia Tyler uh, character telling him specifically you know you fucked up you shouldn't have done this you, you don't need to do this you know and so and this is not you know my main problem with the movie but it is my main takeaway i guess after watching it which is that when i get to the end i just wish that they had been more definitive in how they felt because something that frustrated me a little bit or that i felt was unfair was that this movie depicts a broken system but for the most part, the movie questions Kevin Bacon uh, rather than the system. Like, there's the one scene where you're like, "Yeah, this is fucked up," which is when he has his his scene with the with the DA. But then after that, 
because you have the Aisha Tyler uh, character not cutting him any slack, it almost feels like, yes, this is solely your fault. And that part felt like that could bug me, you know? I'm not expecting that sentence to make like any sort of major complex uh, point about the state of the judicial system in America. <laughs> but uh, but it was, I, I guess I felt it was weird that it would choose to pick on Kevin Bacon for acting the way he did. You know, it's not, it doesn't look at him and go like the movie, not me. The movie doesn't look at him and, and frame him in a way where you go, yeah, this poor guy had no other option. Instead, the movie frames him in a way as in like, this guy fucked up. This guy shouldn't have done this. But doesn't give you like any other options, you know? And so I think that I found that a little frustrating. I wanted the, the movie at the end, I wanted at the very end, like, Aisha Tyler to tell him, like, I'm sorry, like, I failed you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> because she was the one that was the hardest on him earlier. Uh, even like, there's a scene where she, he is with uh, Kelly Preston. And Kelly Preston, she ends up being supportive, but for the most part, she seems so disappointed that he went and killed the the man that murdered their kid. I'm like, all right. I mean, that's an interesting position to take. But if you're gonna do it, then you have to give me a little bit more, because otherwise, it's just it's just kind of frustrating that you go there, and and then it doesn't get developed, uh, you know, any any further. So it's not necessarily, I guess, it's a good problem to have that the movie brings up ideas and questions in me that that and you know, it's much better than a movie that doesn't bring anything out of me <laughs> where I'm just watching it yeah. passively. Here, I'm watching it and I'm. You know, I'm engaged because I want to know. I was like, okay, where where are we landing with this Kevin Bacon guy? <laughs> are we are we for what he's doing? Are we against what he's doing? Are we proposing an alternative? What's going on? Uh, but you're right. I mean, it is it is a comic book. It is just about the rush of seeing the wrongs being righted, <laughs> regardless of uh, whether it's the right thing or not to do. You know, you want the bad guys to be punished. So. Somebody needs to make somebody pay for something to make themselves feel better. Billy'd be the one to pay. Now, if you want to hear like a real problem I have with the movie, and it's something that I I praise in Contrarian's Corner, is that I don't buy Kevin Bacon's transformation into a badass. And I know you're going to tell me, Alex, that that's part of the formula that comes with the genre. He has to become a badass so that we can have the badass action sequence. But I was looking forward to seeing just a regular dad trying to deal with this gang. And then suddenly, like Josh Larson said in, the, in that quote I read, he becomes a Terminator at the end. I was like, well, what's the fucking point? <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be more fun? You're going to tell me no. But wouldn't it be more fun if it was just a guy that didn't even know how to like use the guns, you know, and he has to struggle <laughs> through that final sequence? <laughs> Accidentally just kills him. Like, what does this button do? <sighs> yeah. And actually, there's a movie called Blue Ruin that is exactly that, and it's not that great. So, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not. But I just, I just, I don't know. Drop me a line where it turns out that he was, you know, he's ex-military, or that you know, I mean, instead of him being a, a hockey player, you see him, John Rambo. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't do Rambo again, though. So I don't no, no, know. No, but I'm it's just like, saying, like that, a Hugh Jackman's character in um, Prisoners. That's something you find out about him. He's like an insane doomsday type person, and so like he obviously has all these weird tendencies and shit. Right. But, it's yeah. like, what do you uh, know about Kevin Bacon here? You know that he likes hockey, uh, and you he know does risk assessment. <laughs> and he does risk assessment. They they go out of their way to paint him as a as an office guy, not the kind of guy that you would see. Uh, being competent in an action sequence, and so it's it's weird. It's not just at the at the at the end. I, I think that throughout the movie, there there are moments where he seems completely uh, out of his depth, like when he kills uh, Matt O'Leary, right? Like that looks like he almost killed him by accident, and that's great because that tracks with what the character that you sell me at the beginning. But then there are other moments where he seems way too cool under pressure. Um, that that chase with the parking lot and everything is awesome. But there is no way that the the Kevin Bacon character that we see at the beginning of the movie would have survived that. <laughs> that and that bugs me because I want an explanation. You know, give him a friend that helps him out that's more capable, or give me like the the bit of backstory, the reveal that you know before he settled down with Kelly Preston, he he did a tour in Afghanistan or something. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> before he got his job as a risk assessment guy. Uh, this doesn't bother you. You're you're just happy that he's there kicking ass. The only thing I'd really argue, like from a 
storytelling point of view that I thought was fine was the parking garage chase scene, the way he sets off all the car alarms and shit. So he's able to kind of try to find a place to get away. And then, yeah, he, he's able to dodge bullets pretty well for a guy that's, you know, presumably never been in combat, but yeah, I don't, I don't really care. (laughs) I'm not saying like what you're saying is necessarily wrong, but I, I, it doesn't bother me as much. The head shaving's silly that like, uh, empire records. I like laughed at that because it's just like, Oh, we're supposed to see how far they've fallen that they don't care about anything, not even their own hair anymore. <laughs> it's beautiful hair. <laughs> one minor, one last nitpick, and then you can go back to praising this movie. I love John Goodman. I think he's amazing. I was not kidding. Contrast Corner. That's Agreed. the best scene in the movie when, when he yeah. uh, t- tells Kevin Bacon, well, my son brought it on to himself. Go, go for it. Just don't ask me for directions. That's great. Why yeah. did they feel the need to basically walk that back and have him show up to warn his son? That's I think that that takes away a little bit of the power from the previous scene. You know, it's like it's so cool. It does. It's because it, it's like, oh, he killed his dad. It's like, no, we already knew this was a bad dude. Like we didn't need that addition of that scene. So I I agree with you on that. It just feels kind of pointless. Yeah, I did, and I didn't need to see uh, John Goodman die either. You know, it's like I was happy to just leave him in that corner. Just staying away from from this conflict. So yeah, that was yeah because it, was it seemed pretty clear he wasn't going to like intervene. He's just kind of like, well, it is what it is. If you need any more guns, come back to see me. And <laughs> yes. yeah, it's you're a, what do he calls him? You're a premier customer, a preferred customer, Prefer, preferred customer. Yeah, nice. again, that scene would be funny if it wasn't so sad. <laughs> he, could you have used John Goodman in this though, saying he's killing Dougs today? Could you have used that? <laughs> Always. <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> Trying to remember, there was a wrestling. Was it The Undertaker? There was a wrestler. I think it was The Undertaker. He was so troubled by a loss or like a match with Triple H that he shaved his head and came back. It was like, dude, <laughs> no one cares. And Kevin Bacon here, like I said, the the one silver lining from, of course, Taker came back with like a beautifully shaved and styled fade. Or, no, it wasn't a fade. He had like a, a low hawk or some shit. But I did appreciate how it looked to be a legit him shaving his head and then just leaving the really shitty shave job on it. But then I don't know that that goes way deeper than I care to discuss this movie of like, did he think he had to make himself look like? Garrett Headland to fight him? Did he have to become what he hated to destroy it? And it's like that that goes way it's the the meme of the iceberg. It's like this this movie does not go beneath water level for me. It's just like here it is. I, I don't give a fuck about diving any deeper into it. Uh I legitimately added an entire star to my review because of that parking garage sequence. Just that one <laughs> long shot. Just that's kind of where we're getting with filmmaking. And obviously this movie's 15 years old, almost 16 years old. So not to say it's like a modern example, um, but what's leaving us is the general ability for a lot of mainstream filmmakers to make something that has a, a completely all itself feeling and something that's like a, a trademark or a specialty of a director. I mean, we just talked about Goodfellas last week for crying out loud. Uh, so a lot of what today wow is from the ability of crafting a scene and from the perspective of filmmaking is pulling off something like this parking garage scene. This movie ain't fucking, I mean, I talked about inside Lou and Davis. It, this ain't that, but it's that scene is as impressive as a lot of shit you will see in a movie. Cause it's just, it's so much work, especially when you're, it's not the raid when you have a bunch of stunt workers that are, know how to choreograph fight scenes and shit. It's, you know, I'm not saying Kevin Bacon and Garrett Hedlund don't know what they're doing, but it's a, it's a lot different when you have, you know, top tier talent. You're like, okay, well you have to be here at this time. Do this, 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 and this. It's just, it's, it's impressive. And that sequence is very impressive overall. Yeah. I think the, the questions you and I are discussing here and asking ourselves, are, it appears to be questions you can't help but ask yourself after watching it, and then me, which is probably from laziness or just kind of enjoy being able to turn my brain off of the movie. I don't really care. I, I, you know, I imagine it's one of those things. You know, you and I went go to a screening of this movie, 
and like it's over and you have like a list of questions and I'm just like, all right, I'm ready to go. Like, and they're like, no, no, no. I want to stay and talk to James Wan. I want to ask him about this. Uh, I would be curious, you know, if he would argue that there was any statement really trying to be made because I don't give a fuck what anyone says. Saw the first saw is not like some, Oh, what would you do in this situation? It's just like a, it, the first saw was like someone just handed you a Rubik's cube and said, here you go. Except it was a lot more violent, obviously. And with this, it's just kind of like, like I said, James Wan handed me a pack of Skittles that would last me an hour and 45 minutes. And he's like, here you go. It's like, thank you, James Wan. <laughs> but he told you for every Skittle that you eat, somebody dies in the world. <laughs> but don't think about it. it. In the world of this movie. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's like Kelly Preston, great actress and solid as hell in this. When she dies, out of here. You know, those cops that die for really no reason. All the henchmen, just disposable bodies, that type of thing. And the John Goodman death, which I do side with you, was completely unnecessary. If I took this a bit more seriously, I definitely could find holes to poke in it. But I don't. And I think the acting is pretty good across the board the surviving son if you want to nitpick his performance you could but he only has like really two scenes where they mm-hmm. ask him to you know how's your how's your moment young man kevin bacon's really good i mean he's he's a good actor always you know in general yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what what you're getting and you're getting good stuff but it's uh he has some pretty intense scenes there he breaks down the shower when he's talking to the kid uh you know he's in a coma um even his his just look of shame when Aisha Tyler confronts him and tells him, "Okay, what did you do?" <laughs> it's he's he's really good. I, I think that's also you know what spurs me to to just have those questions because I, I'm seeing such a good performance. I want to dig deeper. Also, I, I gotta say, man, when they shoot his family, then shoot him, and uh, and then the camera does the thing, and then you fade to black for like a second. I mean, I knew the movie wasn't over. But I was thinking, if the movie ended here, then I would think it was great because then there's no confusion. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like I would say, yeah. this is it's just being bleak as hell, and it's telling you whether you agree or not. I mean, you can agree or disagree with that position, but the movie's telling you if you poke the bear, <laughs> that's it. You're done. And uh, I, I could disagree. I could say like, well, I think that sometimes you you have to poke the bear because nobody else is gonna do it. You know. But but then it would be a movie that was definitely taking a a position where it's like here the fact that we get to see him i'm like is is he getting a happy ending you know what does it mean that the kid's still alive you know is it is yeah. he he's supposed to be happy that it happened or is he supposed to be sad because he's like he's not gonna see that kid whether he dies or he goes to prison so i think that that's that's a little frustrating too but uh, that's uh i already referenced it earlier i've always talked about that to me is one of the best parts of spring breakers is the James Franco thing, how he thinks he's a badass and can fuck with like these real gangsters and he gets immediately killed, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, the two girls kill all of them, so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> look at you. You look like one of us. Look what I made you. So this bombed. That that was what I was going to ask you earlier. Yes. $20 million budget, $17 million box office return. People just, I guess, weren't ready for violent Kevin Bacon. <laughs> would, th- would there be a sequel? If if they got like nine death wishes, could you get 10 death sentences? <laughs> I would hope so. And it's, you know, the, they had the catchphrase already. You've been sentenced. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a death sentence, you know, that type of thing. So this is, okay, so you said it's not a sequel book, right? It's not that he's playing the Charles Bronson character. Uh, No, no, no. Yeah, Death Sentence is a sequel to Death Wish. So the, the, the novel takes place six months after the events of Death Wish. So Death Sentence, like the main character in Death Sentence is the main character from Death Wish, I'm assuming. And you're, so you're telling me that after everything that happened in Death Wish, he just becomes a risk analyst? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's worth tragedy out, strikes again. <laughs> despite the deviations from the novel, Brian Garfield, the author, was extremely happy with the film and praised it for its understanding and making the central theme very clear. Which is what 
Mr. Garfield. <laughs> Let's get him on the pod. <laughs> Here you go. The writer, the screenplay writer, of this is a man named Ian McKenzie Jeffers. And he has three writing credits to his name. A Crack in the Ground, which I've never heard of. Death Sentence. And The Gray, which you and I mm-hmm. know a gentleman who's a very big fan of that movie. So he was kind of in and out. Where do you go after The Gray? His problem is that he writes himself out of sequels. It's like he, he, <laughs> he doesn't set up franchises very well. It right, looks like he has something coming up. He's penning a movie that's going to be directed by Sylvester Stallone called Tough As They Come. Travis Mills, a soldier in Afghanistan, loses his four limbs four days before his 25th birthday. And when he returns home, must reconcile with his stepfather and live with only prosthetics for his arms and legs. Man, sounds like a crack up. <laughs> From the man who brought you that sentence. I guess I kind of harped on it in the contrarian's corner, but I need to be explicit in saying I think the closing with Kevin Bacon and Garrett Hedlund is fucking fantastic. I think that rules. And I think there's a movie to be made that straddles what you and I have talked about here between the questioning of moralistic, you know, internal conflict and also the tale of revenge making a movie that isn't just as easy to say, Oh, just ingested it and it's done uh, versus, you know, it's stuck with me for days based off the scene alone of something like, not that he like accidentally kills all the other guys, but maybe he hires someone to to kill them. But in the end, he still, he has the final showdown. And I I just love that. That feels earned him. Fucking, him, you know, sniping him going solid snake on all the other guys is kind of like, all right, this is a movie. But that that last scene with Garrett Hedlund feels earned where he's, you know, he's worse for wear, but he still is smarter than him. And he just ready like that's that's fantastic. If we end up doing Riders of Justice, I know that's potentially on the table. I've done a QVR on that, but that's out there for an episode in the future. I think we'll circle back to our discussion of this because I don't want to spoil anything for you. But I think there's some elements to that movie that uh, you and I could make allusion to this one from i i can see that i you just and you know you just made me think that that's something else uh because i was mostly focusing on the, on the aisha tyler character but even that that moment that you called out where he tells where uh garrett headland tells him we turned into one of us right i can't tell if the movie agrees or not like i you know what i mean like because it could just be if you end the movie there then i can see how yes the movie's saying that in his quest for revenge, he ended up being no better than the man who killed his son, which I don't agree with that outside of the movie. You know, just like my point of view, like, no, I think that they're still worse than him. Uh, but then the fact that the movie lets him have the last laugh, lets Kevin Bacon, you know, be the guy that ends that conversation by <laughs> pulling the gun and saying, ready? Uh, what is he doing with that? Is, is he saying, uh, no, I am I'm actually better than you because I, I, you know, I can kill you or saying, yes, I am a monster, but I don't care because I still get to kill you. Or I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. I think it's a cool moment and I really like the performance of both of them, but it, it also, you know, it goes back to what I was saying. It's like, it's, it's just fuzzy for me when it gets to the end. Gotta ask it comes out today. Better reception. I don't think it gets a theatrical release to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a Netflix original, and you know who's making these type of movies? Liam Neeson. He's making those movies now. Some of them go theatrical, some of them go direct to streaming. And I was thinking about incorporating Taken into our discussion earlier, but that at no point did I feel like that movie wants you to take it seriously. You know what I mean? That movie is a hundred percent about just Liam Neeson being a badass. There's no question of anything. <laughs> Yeah, you're right because they had the whole like intense monologue. I don't know who you are, that thing. But yeah, um, that movie never stops to say like, is he doing the right thing? <laughs> that movie cheers him on from the beginning. You're too busy throwing your popcorn in the air. Get him, Liam. <laughs> okay, so maybe it doesn't get a theatrical release. So let's take the monetary gain or loss out of it. 
you think people enjoy this more if it's released tomorrow on whatever your streaming service is? It's a, an HBO Max original. You think people are a bit more kind to this because as we've discussed, expectations and general receptions have changed a little bit in the past 15 years. I think it gets good buzz. I, I think that you know they'll talk about how cool it is to see Kevin Bacon doing something like this. People that are not fans of the genre are not going to care for it. It doesn't matter if it was released today or, you know, 10 years ago. But I think that especially Kevin Bacon, I mean, he's always been Kevin Bacon, but I think he's a little bit more of a name now than he was back when that sentence came out. I would agree with that. And so I think that that would bring extra attention. And then, uh, yeah, I think that people, the, the people that like it, that like that type of movie would be, would gravitate to it more easily. They would just be able to go, you know, whereas... I think when I was in theaters, it just got overshadowed by everything else that was going on. I get, as long as like it doesn't end up on Netflix dropping the same day that the new Stranger Things season comes out or something. You know? <laughs> I think we've seen that uh, the past few years of action movies that are just action movies. People are so starved for it that when they come out, they're like, holy shit, what is this? Mm-hmm. So this is what I was looking for. It was hiding under, I don't know. <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yes. <laughs> I said that as a joke, but looking it up here on box office mojo, it really was hidden underneath the hype of Rob Zombie's Halloween as it was the number one movie in America for that week. And then 310 to Yuma came out and took over that spot. Russell Crowe. And is it Christian Bale? Mm-hmm. Christian Bale and Ben Foster. Death Sentence came in eighth that week. Behind Superbad, which was still holding strong at number two, Balls of Fury, the, <laughs> the, Born, Alta, the Born Ultimatum, Rush Hour 3, Mr. Bean's Holiday, The Nanny Diaries, and then Death Sentence rounding out the top ten was War with Jet Li and Jason Statham and <laughs> Stardust. Hey. Simpsons movie was still at 11. God bless. Death Sentence held on in the top 10 the next week, went down to number 10. And then by week three, Halloween still holding strong, but Death Sentence was pushed out, <laughs> taking its place at number 10. The also incredible Shoot 'em Up. Uh, I, <laughs> I enjoy Shoot 'em Up more than this. It doesn't say anything. <laughs> uh, excuse me, Clive Owen says, eat your vegetables. <laughs> Go with God. Bag full of guns. So this is the part that always becomes sometimes uh, murky because Julio gets mad at me when I give <laughs> high ratings for movies that I make sure to stress. It doesn't mean the same. The new uh, standard bearer is going to become being John Malkovich because he's already gotten <laughs> upset at some of my reviews based on that. When I say that I gave that movie a B, and I'm going to give Death Sentence a B, but they are not the same kind of Bs. They exist in, <laughs> in, in different grading scales and whatnot. But man, I had They're such a fucking... They're not the same type of red tomato. That's what you're saying. Exactly. You can't paint everything with the same fucking brush strokes. That's exactly right. Uh, but I thought this was a, a fucking blast. And I was looking on Amazon during a recording about uh, Blu-rays and DVDs. Looks like they're fairly difficult to come by. Uh, nothing insane, but more work than I'm willing to do right now. If it was one of those things, I could just pick it up for eight bucks and have it delivered tomorrow. I definitely would. Uh, but a fun movie. Um, there's some things from this I'll probably quote, and Julio and I will definitely circle back to here in the years to come on the podcast. But uh, a B from me, Julio. I saw it looked like you had previously a two-star rating on Letterbox. I assume that was from your first viewing, or is that the most up-to-date review for you? No, it's from my last viewing, and that is... I mean, that is from me recalling plot points from a uh, law-abiding citizen. So <laughs> let's put that aside. Just like assume that we're starting fresh here and uh, it's still two stars. <laughs> ah. It's two stars. Uh, honestly, no, it was never going to be lower. I like Kevin Bacon and John Goodman too much. And the, the action is, is fun, but... You know, there was a, I couldn't entirely buy into the logic of the movie, and that really that, that was bothering me. Look, it's better than Drop Dead Fred. So on the pole scale, it's better than Drop Dead Fred, but it's nowhere near as good as Baccarat. So 
you know, it's right there in the middle. There, there are better movies. There are better revenge movies. Man, I, I don't know when I would make time to rewatch Law Abiding Citizen, but my memory of watching that was that that movie was a lot of fun. It was just like a popcorn thriller, but it really dealt into because the the, the main characters are George Butler and Jamie Foxx, and so Jamie Foxx is the you know I told you he's a DA, so. The idea of uh, are we doing the right thing when we're cut deals with criminals? That is at the forefront of that. That's the, the Jamie Foxx, uh. you know, character. He he has to reckon with that, and uh, and the movie constantly, you know, he's clearly the good guy in the way that he's the, the guy that's doing the right thing. But you can't help but root for Gerard Butler, who's the bad guy, <laughs> because he's killing all these other bad guys. And I I found that more engaging, and that's also a movie that I would just say it's a popcorn movie. It doesn't really try to dig deep, but. Um, I was missing that. I think so two stars is still like, and I'm glad I saw it. I, I'm glad I, I watched it. I had a good time. Uh, once I got past the anxiety of the first, I don't know, twenty minutes or so, when I was waiting for things to go wrong, uh, and then once it that happened, I I settled in and it was it was fine. So two stars from me, a B from you. We've had movies that have fared a lot worse than that. So thank you, Paul. Yes, indeed, Paul. Thank you. Continue to bring. The varying degrees of films that you present to us, I I, I appreciate it as well as Julio. So uh, that wraps up Death Sentence. Julio, what is on deck? What's what's upcoming? Well, coming up next, it begins the the patron takeover. We we surrender control of the main feed, and uh, we're going to start with a pick from patron Dale Bridges. Yes, Dale Bridges that wrote the Mean Reds. He is throwing. The Mutations at Us. Alex, this is a movie from 1975 starring Donald Pleasance. So already off to a good start. Hell yeah. Yeah, uh, it's available on Prime and also on Shutter. Uh, an hour and 32 minutes. Horror science fiction. I'm not going to read the the synopsis. I'm going to just go in back row blind on this one. But I see that Tom Baker is also listed uh, in the cast. You know when we saw Tom Baker in our contrarian's journey? What was that? He's the Doctor Who that gets killed at the beginning of the Doctor Who movie. Asking me to remember anything but Will Sasso from that is a, <laughs> a trying feat. <laughs> anyway, this is a this is a rotten movie, but it's a. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that Dale sent it our way because he likes it. So I'll see if I can get him to to send us a clip or to send us a statement that we can read oh, in yeah. the real talk part of it. Uh, but that's coming up next. The Mutations, the opening salvo in our patron takeover. Uh, should be a good time. All right. Well, that's going to take us into perennial plugs. So we'll start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend, fellow podcaster Hans Rothgieser, is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at himself in the mirror and doing other things. Uh, that's all Hans. He came up with that. So if you like his work, let him know. Reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can email him, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Or you can check the rest of his work on his webpage, Mildemonios.pe. Uh, he's a novelist. He's written a whole bunch of books about zombies, uh, about fantasy quests, uh, a lot of good stuff. And he has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com for our boys over in the pro wrestling realm of podcasting. I uh, recently did an episode with them discussing the life and times of the Briscoe brothers. That was a lot of fun. Uh, content's always going up over there, match reviews. The historical oracle pieces with my buddy Devin just going through his... Uh, at times ludicrous takes on old professional wrestling and you know if i'm ever on there even just from time to time you can ensure a movie discussion or two is going to pop up so late night say hi to joe and the boys and most importantly our social media guru our social media czar Zoe perez who continues to make our uh, at least our public facing materials so pretty you know listeners don't see the the gristle back here, but you and I just recording these late at night. But uh, <laughs> at least from the social media perspective, Zoe makes everything look real pretty and real professional. So facebook.com slash contrarian prime. We are on Instagram at contrarian prime, youtube.com slash at contrarian prime. Uh, be sure to check out our videos. 
repost them, share them, give them a like, subscribe on YouTube, do all that good stuff. And of course, our Twitter, which is always plugged in the opening. But again, Zoe makes our public facing materials look way better than Julia and I could. So, Zoe, we appreciate the work you continue to do for us. And as always, we appreciate you, the listening public, for tuning in for yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Don't let me smell fear on you, Alex. Fear is for the enemy. <laughs> and bullets. So